Welcome back to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Stephen Kyoto is an American writer, director, and special effects makeup artist and one of the legendary Kyoto Brothers. The Kyoto Brothers are a trio of special effects and stop-motion artists and animators best known for their work on Team America World Police, Critters, and Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which Stephen also directed. The Kyotos also created the claymation sequences for the large Marge scene from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, as well as the stop-motion elements in the North Pole scenes from Elf. Steven's latest feature is Alien Xmas, an animated feature which he directed. When extraterrestrials attempt to steal Earth's gravity, only the gift-giving spirit of Christmas and a small alien named X can save the world. Executive produced by John Favreau, don't forget to check out Alien Xmas this holiday season, now streaming on Netflix. Also on today's episode is none other than the one and only Sig Neutron. Sig is no stranger to the show and, like Steven, is also a special effects makeup artist, director, and creature designer. Sig has done effects work on multiple movies, including Tron Legacy, Sucker Punch, and Star Trek Discovery. It was on Face Off Season 7, then again on Season 11 as one of the Face Off All-Stars. Sig also hosts a podcast that I love called Sig Neutron's Sputron, available everywhere you listen. And he also does a pretty cool series of live streams on Twitch where he breaks down his special effects makeup techniques. So if you're not already, make sure you follow Sig Neutron on all of the social medias. We had a pretty wide-ranging conversation, the three of us. Both of these guys are really fascinating and very accomplished artists. So we got into everything from creative processes to practical effects and geeked out about everybody's new favorite artists, shows, and movies. So get ready for some recommendations here. Quick note that this interview was done way back in May. In any case, I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Steven and Sig as much as I did. Without further ado, here are Steven Kyoto and Sig Neutron. Hey guys, how's it going? As best as it could be expected. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) With all this extra time, how, uh, Stephen, what are you working on? How are you able to to fill these, this the the unprecedented amount of time that we're all seeming to have? Well, things haven't changed that much. I mean, I'm I'm working on my current project, uh, Alien Christmas, uh, stop motion special we're producing for uh, Netflix. Although I'm not on stage with the crew, I'm at home reviewing dailies, effect shots, and. Music cues, sound effects, and uh, yeah, all the post-production work is continuing as we speak. Oh, nice. So is Alien Christmas, does that have the same kind of, in terms of the, the creatures and characters, does it have the same vibe as, as a lot of the other work that you and your brothers have done? It's hard for me to tell because I'm so close, but I think it has yeah. a Kyoto Brothers kind of style to it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, we were inspired by the Rankin and Bass specials when we were little kids, you know, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger and all those. So this is very much a Rankin and Bass holiday special. Nice. Kind of, uh, it harkens back to the '60s style that they started. So in that sense, it's not a Kyoto Brothers character design style, but the sensibility is kind of ours. Uh, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's snarky, but it has like a little mean edge. I mean, the, the premise is a race of aliens who go around the, the universe stealing from every civilization they can find. They're just a bunch of kleps. In fact, that's their <laughs> name. They're kleps, and uh, they come to uh, Earth. And they decide to steal Earth's gravity so that all the objects will kind of float into outer space and kind of suck them up in their vacuum ships. So they sent our main character, X, the smallest little alien, to go on the mission to build a gyrotron, this this horrible machine that's going to sap Earth's gravity. But in the interim, he's mistaken as a doll, a gift, 
and he's given to this little this little elf girl. And when he when we when he's actually given as a gift, that something magical happens. That exchange of um, giving and receiving is something he's never experienced before, and he changes. Oh. And now he wants to stop the invasion. So it's sort of like a an action packed invasion holiday special. You know, <laughs> same old, same old, same old, same old. Yeah. No, that sounds pretty. And it's it's all three it's amazing. All, all three of you guys are working on it, right? It's all all the Kyotos. Oh yeah, yeah. My brother Charlie was uh, on the design team. Uh, my brother Edward's producing, and I'm uh, directing. And it's a, it actually is based on a book that a friend of mine, Jim Strain, and I wrote, and my brother illustrated years ago. And we oh, finally wow. were able to kind of pitch it around town and got it produced uh, through Netflix. That's great. And uh, our executive producer, who helped really put it over the top, is John Favreau. Oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then working with John has been a trip. It's just been really great. Is that right? Yeah. So how did he come on board? How did you how did you get him involved? Because he has a soft spot in his heart for uh, for claymation and stop motion. From what I understand, he did something called I think it was Hobgoblins, which was like a stop motion VR experience, which seemed counter to the, the the some of the other stuff that he's been doing. But how did how did he jump on board? Oh yeah, he loves stop motion. Uh, he's a real a real fan. In fact, we first met on Elf. We did oh, the animation right. effects on Elf. Uh, again, it was a Rankin and Bass style that he wanted to kind of infuse as a wraparound for his show. And uh, it worked out really well. He was really pleased with it. So th- once we knew John from our Elf experience, uh, he was always in the back of our mind for this or any other project we had. So uh, we came up with the book and pitched it to him, and he kind of took took to it. Yeah, it was it was after Elf. Yeah, yeah. That's super cool. And uh, he helped us get it sold. I mean, we were around town for years trying to sell a property, and uh, it really didn't catch on until he was attached and uh, helped us get it over the top. That's yeah, great. I remember like back uh, back when we first started hanging out. You you showed us the book, and uh, that was that was a long time ago. So it's cool to see you guys finally like getting it getting it going. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, you talk about getting a career or getting a project going. That, that was a tack we took with that project. I mean, we came up with the idea of a, an alien Christmas as a special, but as a concept, pitching it to networks and and it just it, it, they loved it, but they just wouldn't greenlight it. So we figured, what's we the best step would be to create a property. So we actually made the book. And the book is really a sales tool to sell a property. Smart. I mean, the, 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 the sales of the book were kind of small because you know we had a small publisher. It was uh, published as a, hard, a hardcover book. It wasn't self-published. But still, it didn't have the numbers that a lot of big studios wanted. But still, when you're, when you're, you're pitching an idea and you hand them a book, it, it, it's more of a tangible property. They give it much more bankability and clout. And that really helped us sell it. Yeah, smart. So you always saw it as a movie, but did the book as basically a way to to, to pitch the movie to make it something tangible yeah, that exactly. people could visualize yeah. better. That's super smart. Yeah. I think there's something huge there. That's, that's interesting. That's kind of the take that we're just sort of intuitively taking with Bizarro Go Go now too, because it's like we already made the book, and it's almost like a big proof of concept, like already out there. You know, that's it. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see see where that goes. I would love to see <laughs> no, that no, as it, a show. Oh, yeah, we'll start with that. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see that in the show. In fact, uh, Sig and I have been working on a, uh, on a project, one or two, and over the years trying to get our combined vision together. Oh, yeah, what so are you guys like working on? What you, or as much as you're allowed to talk about, what are you guys working on together? Oh, we can talk. Go yeah. ahead, Sig. Yeah, so uh, we had, uh, well, Brandy and I had Bizarro Go Go. Right. And then um, we, Steve and I think we met at, did we meet at the Hive Gallery or something? Yes, yes, it's What's a great yeah. gallery here in Le- downtown Los Angeles called the Hive Gallery, mm-hmm. run by um, Nathan Cartwright. Nathan Cartwright. Yeah, it's really yeah. great. That's where I met Sig for the first time. I saw his sculptures, and you know, whenever I see new artists and art, 
whether it's 2D, 3D, whatever, I always say, wow, that, what would that look like in stop motion? And SIG's three-dimensional sculptures are just tailor-made for stop motion, just the design <laughs> style. I could just see the way they would move. So um, we met there at the gallery, and I just loved his work, met Randy as well. And uh, we started brainstorming, what can we do together? So they had Bizarro Gogo, and we had an idea called Channel A from Outer Space. And in some ways, they were kind of similar as far as they were presenting new characters, little short subject type of ideas under the banner of a larger concept. And uh, we started pursuing Channel A from Outer Space. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like we, we were going to bring our like weird, quirky characters to the table. And then you kind of had like a wraparound with like an alien TV station that, that would be intercut with like, and then the bizarro stuff would be kind of what's on the TV. And it was just like, and we still like, I, I, I th- we still want to get this going. It's, oh, I, and yeah. I think it, it'll, it's weird. Like, I don't know, man, the more I'm like living life, it's just, I'm realizing everything has its time. And, and I, I have no doubt that at some point we're going to, we're going to sync up and it's going to be the perfect moment. And we're going to, it's going to be like, yes, now, now we're making something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a, I guess the, the basic premise is, is this a little pirate TV station on an asteroid somewhere out in the universe. And he just steals signals from all these other planets. So it really is alien TV being broadcast through this little um, pirate TV station. So we have our cast of characters, the intern, the sexy alien secretary, the mean asshole boss. (laughs) So we we follow their little tiny little stories as wraparounds while we just kind of jump into the content, which are commercials and news programs and movies from all over the universe. And it's a variety of um, effects techniques. It's puppets, it's live action, it's animatronics, it's cartoons. God, that and, sounds amazing. Uh, with the work that, that, that SIG does, I mean, Kyoto Brothers never really focused on makeup effects. So linking up with SIG and his team brings a whole world of live action characters to our show. The idea um, of your two worlds coming together, uh, that would be unbelievable. I'd love yeah. to see it. I know, here. right? It's, it's crazy because like just growing up and being so inspired, by the Kyoto brothers and killer clowns from outer space and you know critters and like all these like that's what like formed who I was as an artist and then to come out here and then just like serendipitously meet like Steven and then like then we start talking and then like we really hit it off and I'm just like man that's like I'm just I'm I always like just geek out over the Kyotos all the time I'm I'm still like geeking out right now that we're even talking (laughs) I'm never not a geek out over you guys (laughs) but it was really great because when I saw your work it was uh it was a refreshing look. I mean, the, the stuff, we're older, and a lot of our stuff has roots in the 50s and the 60s, which is all the stuff we love. And it kind of gets kind of old and traditional. But you, uh, Sid, you have the same sensibilities, but you've got this fresh take on it that's really in your face, you know, punch you in your face <laughs> with both the grossness and the sexuality that I just think is really, really great. So for me, it's like old school and new school kind of mashed up together. I can't wait to do something. It would be fantastic. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I can't wait I to see it too. I mean, my God, that would sound unbelievable. Yeah. Time will tell. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yes. And, and now we have formats. We've got these new formats now, these streaming people kind of fighting for content. Mm-hmm. I think there's more opportunities than ever before. You got these little experimental shows out there. Uh, get a response and, and start building a, you know, some kind of a, a fan base. And, 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 and Sig, you've got a hell of a fan base too from all your work. Uh, bringing those two together would be really powerful. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting because I think that when we first got together and started coming up with Channel 8 and like mixing the ideas together, I think we were a little bit ahead of our time in a sense because, you know, Netflix wasn't buying all these shows. Like the streaming platform wasn't huge. Like there's all these different avenues now to uh, circumvent. Because like, back when we, we were basically 
it was like we'd have to make a pitch and pitch it to a studio or something, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and now there's just so yeah. many. I mean, there's still that route, but there's just so many other routes to take now. And I think now it's and then, you know, you guys have been doing your work off like in in your ways. And then we've been doing ours. And it's like we've both been growing our our brands and exploring new avenues. And now I think it's like, I mean, I, look, we're just somehow like, you know, Nick brought us together to have this conversation now. You know, It's like everything just sort of like coming full circle back to. Yeah. Oh, and what's really cool about it to talk about the sign of the times, a component of the show was to kind of um, elicit content from the viewers. Oh. So many people are making content. So if they had an idea for like a, a 30 second spot, even a bumper, a 10 second bumper, send it up to us. We'll oh, put it on cool. the air. So the concept of having uh, alien, alien broadcasts or alien TV shows means people could have created their own 10 second bumpers or commercials or whatever they wanted. And we, put, we would put it on channel eight. That's so, so cool. I, I love that idea. Cause there's so many so young up and coming effects artists who are doing amazing stuff on Instagram, like Adam Doherty, creature kid. He's putting some awesome stuff out there. I mean, some of the, oh, yeah. particularly effects artists, they have amazing work and it's, it's on Instagram, which is great, but it feels like it's a shame and it should go to a wider audience and potentially have higher production value, you know, and, and put some Netflix money behind it. But they seem like they really want to start championing new voices in, uh, in animation, like with their, what was it? Love, sex and robots, love, death and robots. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was a Fincher, David Fincher's project it was really great. Oh, Fincher was behind that. I didn't realize that. Oh yeah. 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 And I think animation right now is like really hot because like with, you know, COVID like shutting down productions, like you still make animations like, mm. you know, that because you don't have to have a whole crew, you know? Yeah. So that's exactly. You can work remotely. All the, all the animation, the effects, all the voice recording, all of it. So I think it, it is. Yeah. It won't be much of a glitch here. Yeah. Our, our going to be seeing a lot of animation. Yeah. Any new cartoons that you guys are particularly into? Uh, the the Midnight Gospel that actually just came yes. out on Netflix too. I'm like so into that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's causing flashbacks for me in some cases. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta write that down. What was that? Midnight uh, Gospel. Yeah, so it's basically uh, this guy Duncan Trussell. He's had a podcast and he just talks to people and they just like explore the nature of our own existence and stuff. And uh, he talks about all and it's so fun. And then basically the Midnight Gospel, they take audio from the podcast. And they animate it, and it's all this like trippy, drugged out, like cool animations and stuff. And then he makes like silly songs, and, and I'm like, oh my god, like I'm like the, the main character Clancy. I'm like, that's me, holy crap! Because I've been like, <laughs> I've been working on my podcast and like making silly songs and like talking about the nature of existence since like last year. And I was like, it was just really cool to see that there's like a scene that is uh, developing, and I think people are gonna start getting more into like what are we you know <laughs> like, yeah what's it's the point beautifully of everything? done and the animation looks like old kind of von Bodie sort of those droopy characters and yeah it's 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 beautifully done and it seems so so different from anything that's out there i mean it's it, i think it's indicative of the risks that netflix is taking and how open oh. they are because it's so out of left field it's totally just yeah. out there but it's beautifully done i really really like it a lot and it's the guests are fascinating but uh, animations, it's really beautiful. It's really different. But yeah, I mean, Netflix seems like they're really doubling down on animation for sure. Oh, they really are. In fact, what's, what's really a blast for me is that uh, stop motion is in this incredible renaissance right now. Yes. Uh, I mean, Netflix is producing like two, like three or four feature length stop motion films. Really? Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. You've got Henry Selleck's project. You got uh, 
Uh, Guillermo is doing Pinocchio. Oh, I didn't realize that was stop motion. Oh yeah, yeah, and and and, uh, and I think it's because of technology. If you look on the internet, everybody's got the same tools we do. They've got a DSLR camera. They've right. got uh, uh, Dragon Frame. They've got computers, and they're at the same production value that we've got. And they're animating all the time. It's just and the, and the learning curve too. The young talent is is so so great. It's uh. So hopefully there'll be more of that coming up too, more more avenues to present that as well. Here's a good question. So how like with stop motion where it's at today, um, how how much has it evolved, and is it like way easier now to do stop motion than it used to be when you guys like first started doing it? Well, you know, I, I wouldn't use the word easy. Um, uh, it, you still have to move the, the puppet one frame at a time, but the Dragon Frame tool allows you to have this onion skinning capability where you can now reference your past and prior frames, mm. which moves out the animation incredibly. Mm. And so now young animators who are using this tool are able to kind of critique their performance while they're animating. So the mm. learning curve is sped up incredibly and they're getting better and better and better, faster and faster. So the quality of the animation is superior than anything we've ever seen before. So it fast. smooths it out so you don't get that kind of jerky Harryhausen quality, which exactly. I kind of like. I mean, uh, Wes Anderson tried to keep that in Isle of Dogs. Yeah, if you smooth it out too much, it starts to look like uh, CG. Right. You know, and I think uh, there's something about the handmade quality of stop motion, that little bit of a chatter that you get mm-hmm. kind of makes it kind of, it, it just defines itself a, a, a that's not computer. Yeah, generated. it's that tangibility that I think people really, really gravitate towards. I think that people like to know that these things were made by hand. Same thing with practical effects. I mean, but those little handmade touches, I think, really just add to the charm of it. Oh, absolutely. Now, I think that's what truly is magical about stop motion. I mean, the audience knows that these things are little dolls, little puppets that are inanimate, but yet you're seeing them come alive. And that's that's the definition of magic. To yeah. Me. Yeah. I heard Disney's been trying to figure out in the midst of all of these live action remakes, they've been trying to figure out what to do with Nightmare Before Christmas. And they're thinking, do we go live action? Do we do a sequel? I'm all for a full uh, stop motion sequel. I mean, I know it's such a such a just biblical property. They would have to do it right. But I would love more than anything to see. That's a good question. I mean, if they were to translate that into live action, I wonder if most of the charm is the fact that it was stop motion. I think it's a big part of it. I think it's a really big part of it. Yeah, like the just the proportions of the characters and stuff. Like, I can't imagine doing a a real-life Jack Skellington because he's just that wispy little thing. Like, that's what made him. He's this little spidery, Mm -hmm. you know. You can't do a man in a suit. (laughs) (laughs) He would be Beetlejuice, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting, too, because there's something magical about, like, I can't do, like, high-def films and stuff. They look like like soap operas to me or something. You know, the mm. super high-def. Like, there's something magical about the lower frame rate, I guess, that makes it just look like a piece of art rather than a – it is almost, like, too real, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that persistence of vision that I think harkens back to film at 24 frames a second. Mm-hmm. Just seeing these things moving, and it's an illusion. When you run things at 30 frames and 60 frames, that that high res, it looks like the old soap operas back in the 60s. There's a a TV reality to it that, that, I don't know, takes away the magic. It's it's, it's 
hard to define, but I think that's that's how I would describe it. It's something your mind's eye just notices. Like I've, I've been in Best Buy and they'll have movies playing that are super high def or they'll have like nature stuff and it's like 60 frames per second and it just moves in such a fluid way. It just doesn't feel right. I think Ang Lee did a movie that I think was it something insane like 90 frames a second. Um, and it didn't do very well because people just found it jarring and kind of unnerving and it just was too fluid and just it didn't feel cinematic to people. And I feel like that's yeah. so important to have the, the frame rate really makes a huge difference for sure. I think so. And you mentioned it didn't have a film look to it. But as we go further and further and people see less and less of film, it might just be a whole new perception where that becomes uh, yeah. a reality. That's <laughs> interesting to know. Yeah. Is that a generational thing? Are we like the tail end of like... You know, like people that enjoy that, because, yeah, that mm. might be the new norm. You know, I, I think you're right, Sig. I think you might be the tail end of that. You like that that leap into this new technology. You still have your one foot back in the film world. But uh, and undeniably, the tools now we, we haven't shot film, any motion picture film since Elf. And I really love the flexibility of digital mm-hmm. and what you can post. It's really fantastic. But uh, if it gets too clean, too clear, it's uh yeah, it loses that hand of the artist in my life. Yeah, mind. some people are still doing film, though. Tarantino only shoots on film. Um, Joe Bigos did Bliss on film, and that movie looks beautiful. It's beautifully done. It just has yeah. that gritty a kind of uh, Abel Ferrara look. And it's, yeah, it's just, you can just, you can tell that it's done on film. It has, yeah, it's a the look. Grain, the grain is this like mosaic pattern that you don't see, but you kind of feel the texture's changing frame by frame. Yeah. And it gives you some kind of a tangible quality. Mm-hmm. Again, just like with handmade stop motion puppets and, uh, and characters, tangibility yeah. is, I think people re- respond, react to that in a big way. Yeah. And I feel like that's why there's such a yearning for pre- for practical effects again after we – I think people have get, are getting into or getting over digital fatigue and they're yearning for stuff that's handmade, you know, that has a human well, touch to it. Well, I think that's Sig. Sig and your generation there. I mean, you guys grew up on the 80s and 90s films and now with CG coming in, you guys harken back to what really inspired you, the handmade stuff. It's yep. different, but, and, and this is where the cycle goes. Mm-hmm. So you guys are going to create films that are going to re- kind of bring this stuff back. Then it's going to be another cycle that likes the early computer stuff. I yeah. hope not. <laughs> and it's going to be grandkids, and it's it's just constant cycle. So it's good to say, I think it's safe to say, that stop motion will never go. The traditional will never go. It will always be a viable technique for telling stories. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's interesting. When I first moved out to L.A., everybody was telling me, don't do it, man. Uh, And this was back in 2009. They're like, don't do it. Effects is dying. Everybody's going digital. Everybody's going computers. And I was like, you know what? Like, I just I got to do it, man. I got to go. I got to try. And I'm so glad I did because, you know, it's yeah, there was that surgence of like everybody thought like, oh, computers are going to take over. There's no more no more practical. And then then it started pushing more and more into that zone and everybody was like, okay, hold up. This is, this is not, nobody is enjoying this. And then, yeah, then all the directors like went way back to practical. And now they're sort of like, they're finding this balance, which Mm -hmm. I, I agree with. You can't deny technology. You know, I think, I think the balance of the two is the best way. Totally. The hybrid of the two is really great. Now, you know, when we were puppeteering things, we had visible, we had to hide the rods because they didn't want to do opticals to get, uh, to get rid of them. Now you can have a puppet with visible rods. They'll paint them out. So now you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting Mm -hmm. an easier way to do a performance with a puppet and they deal with it in post much more economically. Yeah. I think it's you guys. I mean, your generation, you guys, you were inspired by it. 
you're, you're an effects creator, you're also a director designer, and you're gonna be making films. So you're gonna be taking that vision and gonna carry it to another generation. It's gonna be equally as inspired for their future. Yeah. So I, all that, the confidence is gonna go on. That blended approach, I think, is going to be the industry standard because I think all well, major directors are realizing the, the thing to do is build everything as much as you can on set. And it's not just like characters and creatures and, and effects. It's things like car crashes and explosions. When those are too digitized, you just, you, your mind's eye doesn't believe them. And it feels like a, a video game and you walk out of it just not yeah. nourished. You know, your, this, your need for storytelling just isn't nourished the same way. They're still fun, but they don't last. But, no, it's, um, it's, it's, unbelievable when you see that stuff it's just you you don't buy it they don't yeah no matter how good it looks when you're doing an animatronic costume you know you want to have the eyes blink and the eyes move around and that adds extra cost and extra weight to any kind of a costume well now you can build a costume and the eye blinks which are like a little momentary thing that can be enhanced in post yeah so you're kind of working together on budgets and also look I, i think it's a great time yeah, um, all these tools—it's—it's it's, uh, so democratic. Everybody can do it. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you one thing: like Mad Max Fury Road, oh, it, yeah. like just like I, that film blows me away because like that yeah. like they're yeah. doing the actual car stuff. I know it's so insane. And, like just just watching the behind the scenes on how they even filmed that thing when all of these the cars moving like holy crap! That's to me like one of the most like. That's like a modern marvel of film. Oh, to totally, me. Like, totally. It was just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And and you could just tell it's something visceral yeah. uh, about those cars, what they do. And they're actually ramming into each other. It's real fire. It's people doing real stunts. Yeah, it jumping was, it back was and so forth amazing. on the cars. Like, oh man. Yeah, and he was yeah, seventy and years old when he directed anybody's that. Film, what? Yeah, not, not to diss anybody's films, but Fast and Furious when they've got these cars jumping over <laughs> subs. Submarines kind of popping out of the, the ice. It just gets so over the top that I kind of disconnect a bit. It doesn't have the same visceral excitement. Oh, is that just me? No, no, it's No, I'm with you there. I'm with you. I'm with you too. Yeah, George yeah. Miller's doing another he's doing another uh, Mad Max, luckily. Oh wow. It's a, it's gonna be a prequel to Fury saw. Road. So yeah, I can't wait. He said because I was I was concerned because after he did Fury Road, he was like 70 years old when he did it. Um I think he said oh, this was the most exhausting thing I've ever done. I'm never gonna do another one of these. But sure enough, after a while <laughs> he came back around. But yeah, I mean I, I thought that, that movie was robbed for not winning Best Picture because that was just it was so sensational. But I was glad that it was nominated because it shows the industry's recognizing movies that are just and that just that goes back to what we love about cinema, right? Not just the movie itself, but the effort that it took to make something that sensational and, and every last thing from the the people performing the stunts, I think some of which worked for Cirque du Soleil. I mean, it was just it was so so beautifully done. But oh, yeah. the effort that went into that, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. And you can feel it. I know I uh, I can, and knowing some behind-the-scenes kind of techniques and things, when I watch it, it's kind of painful. I'm amazed, knowing what they had to go through to get those shots. Uh, it blows me away. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think that's a part of it too. Is that it's movie magic is slowly dissipating, just naturally. I mean, it has to because like there's so much flow of information. You have the internet, the, all the behind the scenes. You know how things are made. It's getting harder and harder to show people something they've never seen before. Mm, yeah, And, you know, especially when everybody knows how to do it. Like back in the day, like 
you, you saw like some of that Star Wars effects, like nobody had any idea how they did that. They were mm -hmm. like, what? You know, and there was no way to find out. And now you can just like Google, like, how did they do this? You know, and yeah. it's like, so it's like, I, I feel like movie, the, the film genre is constantly fighting this battle of like trying to show people something they haven't seen before. Mm. Yeah. Fury Road did that for me in a big way. I'd never seen anything like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're going to return to Fury Road throughout the rest of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's, 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 and it, it's a funny time because uh, practical is making such a resurgence. And when uh, seeing people like Guillermo del Toro saying, let's build as much as we can and enhance things with, with digital, and J.J. Abrams basically declared that with the new Star Wars series, I think that's why they were so well received is because people they want things that they can actually feel. And Baby Yoda was a $5 million practical effect. That puppet cost $5 million to make. All the levels is that, of is that true? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I read. Wow. Really? Yeah, all the different levels of well, articulation. and yeah. John is a big fan of practical. I mean, he just hands down, he'd rather have something physical there. I mean, he's he's ace when it comes to the Lion King and Jungle Book. He knows how to use that new technology well, but he likes to anchor characters within a real world. Mm -hmm. And I think Baby Yoda is a prime example of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that thing's adorable. I wanted to adopt it. Apparently... Um when Werner Herzog was on set with it, he would like talk to it and coo at it. And he just, and people, as if it was a real thing, he would interact with it. Everybody said it was the most hilarious thing they'd ever seen. He just wouldn't stop. He treated it like it was a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Anything else in terms of, um, you know, as far as practical effects that you guys have seen lately that you're excited about? Any movies that are championing practical in a great way? Well, I mean, I, I'm always interested in stop motion. Have you guys seen Chuck Steele and the Tramp Trampires? No, what is oh, that? No. England or maybe Ireland. It's an incredible stop motion feature. And it's uh, beautifully designed. And it's got this really, like, uh, violent edge to it. Something you've ne I've never seen before in, in stop motion. Hmm, Check it out, Chuck Steele. Okay. Uh, I forget the guys. Mike Mort, I think, might be one, uh, one of the principals. I'm so bad with names, but you can Google it and check it out. It's just really, really great. That sounds nice. awesome. Um, there's this guy, Barnaby Dixon. I don't know if you guys have seen any of his stuff. Uh, he makes these little puppets with his hands, but like, yeah, like, yeah, he has his little chickadee bird and stuff, but like mm -hmm. he uses black light to hide his hands. But, and then he did some of the segments, uh, like one segment for the dark crystal, uh, the new one. Like when there was a flashback scene, you see like his like kind of puppets and the way he like moves. It's like, I want to see, I want to see him, uh, you know, do, do more like feature work or something like be the art director on it. Cause it's like just the way he makes all these different puppets with fingers and stuff. It's like, so they, they're so evocative. You got to look it up. Barnaby Dixon. Yeah. I, I have seen that work. It's great. A, a great technique. That sounds pretty cool. Is it like a kid show or is it more for, uh, Adults. Oh, uh, well, Barnaby Dixon's the guy that makes the puppets. He's just, he just kind of went viral. Like he just made some puppets and posted videos of them. And then I guess that's how he landed the job for the, with the dark crystal. Oh, okay. Got it. Got yeah. it. Cool. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, I mean, I miss having those kind of, and I grew up on a lot of kids shows or kids movies and shows that were like a little too edgy for kids. And I think that that was, that was stuff that was like a little too scary. For instance, Ernest scared, stupid, scared me, stupid. That yes. scared the oh, shit out of me. Dude, it was, was so funny. frightening. 
<laughs> one of my biggest influences, man. And I, you know, it's funny. I didn't even find out that like you guys worked on that until like later. Oh, I, holy shit. Until like a couple years ago, I watched, I rewatched it and then I saw the credits and I was like, how did I not know this? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh that's funny. Yeah. That's uh, all of Charlie's designs there for the trolls. So good. With, uh, uh, Mark Cherry, the director, uh, who had all the designs in his head and he, and Charlie's kind of, kind of fixed them up and, Kyoto sized them. <laughs> See, if you wonder like why, where I got all of this like gross, snotty creatures and stuff, it's from watching that movie like um, on repeat. That was like huge, huge inspiration to me. Man. Yeah. Now I missed the time of kids' movies and like kids' sensibility, and it was a little too scary. And I think that that was intentional. I think they specifically wanted kids to kind of push their own boundaries and it toughen themselves up by watching stuff that was like a little scarier than they can handle. But I feel like there isn't anything out there for kids that's, you know, remotely like Ernest Scared Stupid or even Labyrinth, which it's not particularly scary, but does have like a little sexual edge that's not quite appropriate for kids. But kids no, stuff I, nowadays is, it's just, I don't know, it feels like too, too anemic to me. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think they're trying to uh, not offend anybody. Yeah. I mean, the early Disney cartoons always had like a lethal edge. I mean, when in Snow White, when that huntsman went after Snow White, he was going to cut her heart out. Oh, right. Forgot and, about uh, that. So he, and, and that goes back to Grimm's fairy tales, all that the classic yep. fairy tales. It was a reality of death around the corner. And I think if you you protect kids from that, it's not a good it's not a good introduction to the world. No. So we always like putting that kind of stuff in our stories. Just a bit of reality edge with yeah. all our family. Yeah. No, I feel like it's important. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's weird too. Cause it's like, yeah, we're, we're going into a society that you, like you said, it's like, everybody's too worried about like offending everybody and stuff. And like, here's where I'm at. It's like, there is, there is a definite, we should be considerate of other people for sure. Um, but we all find ourselves in this like human mess that nobody knows how to make sense of. And humor is a great tool to process that. Like yeah. stand-up comedians do an important job of yeah. joking about the stuff that uh, nobody really likes to talk about. And mm -hmm. like, you know, and sometimes that's like, like Dave Chappelle, man, he'll just say like, whatever. And he makes it funny. And it's like, I feel like we have to, I mean, I, we just got to figure it out as a society, but we can't be so offended by everything. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's bad now that no comedian wants to go to college campuses at all. Not even Seinfeld, who's like clean as a whistle, won't go to college campuses because he'll get protested. What? I don't, I, there's nothing remotely oh, offensive really? about anything yeah. he's ever said. But now, and college campuses used to be just these beacons of opening your mind to different ways of thinking and engaging in discourse with people and challenging ideas and things. Like, and it is not that at all. If you if you're not on the right side of somebody's narrative, um, you're just shunned on a lot of campuses, and and it's it's toxic for comedians. And co and comedy used to be the great unifier, and I think it's it was something that was very healing for a lot of people. Sig was talking about, but I don't know. It's 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 a strange time. I hope it's I hope it doesn't last very long, though. I'm hoping oh, it hope doesn't. So it's not good for education. I mean, that's just it. You, you can go to college. You have your peers, people your own age. They have different points of view. But what's bringing you together is the fact that you're at the same age and you're in the same location, mm -hmm. which is a great, I don't know, a, a, a great ground to start conversation. But to start limiting because you offend somebody, that's really the wrong thing to do. Yeah, most of the right that we have is is based because of the people at the fringe saying things that are offensive and you know pushing the limits like we need a constant like artists have to constantly push the limits to 
uh, create space for people to explore themselves and ideas because the world is constantly wanting to like shrink down into a conservative little ball of like conformity, you know, mm -hmm. and, and artists are like pushing it out and, and trying to like create a space where people can explore. And I think that's why artists is so important is to push the limits and, yeah. and show people that, you know, that, there's more, you know? Yeah. And if artists are afraid of offending somebody, it's going to limit so much incredible potential. Oh, well, yeah, I know. Yeah. If you have to have, you have to, have to consider how somebody's going to react while you're creating, that's just a big obstacle for any kind of innovative, creative endeavor. Yeah. And, it's just and yeah. the thing is, it's the safest way to look at somebody's point of view. Look at the most grotesque, whatever you disagree with the most, watch it. And it's not going to affect you. It's not going to it, just watch it. And right. it's a safe way to experience it and to just consider somebody else's shoes. Yeah, yeah it's important. Yeah. I think discourse is important and that's not what's happening as much anymore. People aren't no, openly, calmly discussing the things they disagree about. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. I had to like, after going on Face Off, I actually had to edit a lot of my art. Really? Uh, the Sci-Fi's legal team, yeah, made me take down a bunch of uh, like suck MC videos and stuff like that. Oh, and like, man. it kind of for like, and I wanted to keep a good relationship with them because like they were actually opening up opportunities and new doors yeah. and stuff for me. So I, I uh, complied, but like for a while there, that's like when I was in my deep dark times because like I was editing myself and I couldn't be the artist that I wanted to be. And then I developed like uh, through the show, I actually developed a really young fan base. And I was like, man, okay, like all of my stuff is like substance abuse, like, you know, crazy <laughs> yeah. mother, like, again, not really kid friendly stuff. But now I'm getting to the point where it's like, you know what, like, I just have to do me and then whoever finds what I do. And that's not that's not my responsibility. You right. know, it's like, I, I'm just here to show the world the way I see it, you know, and Ooh. That's so surprising that you were so heavily censored because they don't seem sci-fi as a network doesn't seem like it's trying to be so squeaky clean. Oh, but yeah. it's the network and sci-fi is owned by who? Yeah, who somebody huge. Them? I mean, who knows at the top of that food chain? Yeah. So, yeah, there is something. And there's, there's uh, liability, I think they would say on their side if somebody gets offended, if somebody does something. Oh, God. One of the artists that they're promoting. It's, you know, it's good. It's a double-edged sword. It's good to be part of that big machine, Sig. I'm sure you benefited a lot from it, but there is mm -hmm. a downside to that as well. And yep. uh, play them both. That's yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's like it's I tried good. to take what uh, what I could from that, and now it's like now it's time to be a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> so, considering both of you are such big character creative creators and have such a really strong sense of your own kind of universe, like there's a Kyoto universe and there's a Sig Neutron universe. I'm curious as to how do you both know when a character is done as you're developing a character? At what point do you look, do you look at it, particularly if it's something that you're, you're crafting and you say, okay, it's done. It's alive. We're, we're ready to go. Is there a particular moment where you realize, okay, it's done. Well, let me think about, I could look at your work, Sig. I mean, doing makeup, it's a really cool thing where you have a design, 2D, if it starts out 2D, then you got 3D. And then when you apply that to an actor, it goes to this next level. So when do you really see your character coming to life? It's really at the end, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The performance. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And then, I don't know, when character creation... I just recently started like sketching stuff and like, I'll just like scribble and then I'll see a, I'll see a face and then I'll start refining that face. And then I just, 
have this character and I usually like add like clothes or something. And then it's like, I don't know. I look at it and then I, it's like, I almost immediately know a story. It's almost like I've, I've seen this creature before mm-hmm. it's somewhere else. And then maybe I have, who knows, you know, but it's like, I, yeah, they, they, they feel like alive. I feel like I don't necessarily feel like I'm creating them. I feel like I'm remembering them mm-hmm. from the past. Yeah. Funny what you mentioned there. I thought was, it's, it happens to me too. When you're creating a cat, you're creating a character, but there's a story. And as you're designing and you're sketching or you're sculpting, you're thinking and you're creating a storyline. So at the end of the day, maybe when it's a character is when you've got the storyline that links up with the image. Yep. I think uh, that's it. It's the story for me, for me is everything to the character. Me, working with clay was pretty cool, but now working in ZBrush, the uh, uh, computer software. The design goes so fast that you can start cranking out variations so quickly, and it's a real blast. And yeah, I, I, like you were saying, saying, it's the story. What is the story behind this character? What is the the arc? Well, that's and interesting that's- that the story comes as you're crafting the character, because most people would think that it would the story would come first and the character would come second. But as the character is coming to life through your hands, that's when the story starts to unfold. It goes like that with me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Usually, I mean, unless it's like I had to make a character for a specific set of parameters right. to start with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, if I'm just creating freeform, yeah, it's always the story always comes after I start seeing the character. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, Steve Johnson. What's that? And, and as you see the character story, that informs the design as well. Then you start adding details and costuming, and it's elements that get added. And you're building upon, you're building upon each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was uh, working on this, the, the Skelebang kid uh, story. It's like a sci-fi Western, uh, which I did, Steve, I want to totally talk to you. I, this would be like an amazing stop motion uh, thing. I'll show you some stuff sometime, but um, I just drew this like weird skeletal cowboy dude. And he had like bangs, like, and he couldn't see his eyes. And I was like, that's stupid. That's funny. And then, but then like, when I saw that, I was like, oh man. So yeah, he has this story. It's like, nobody's ever seen his eyes and lived to tell the tale. And that was his whole story. Hook. Like he was like a traveled the wild west of space. And like, that was his cowboy story hook. It's like, you'd never see his eyes, you know? And, and then it's like, boom. And then I started from there and I started building this whole thing. And I'm like, holy crap, I don't know. I have this whole like story and it's like a big epic. <laughs> it's just from like a skeletal man with a bangs. That's great. A great one line pitch that opens up a, a whole bunch of stories. Uh, yeah. Great to me. Yeah. So, Stephen, I know you're a teacher. Um, you teach effects as well, right? Do you teach sculpture? Or? Uh, no, actually, I, I teach up at CalArts, and uh, I'm specifically in the stop motion. Oh, okay, uh, got it. It's um, public fabrication for stop motion and performance and direction mm-hmm. in stop motion. Okay, got uh, it. And some BFA introduction workshop classes and things like that. It's really great. Boy, talk about young talent coming up. Uh, Cal, Cal Arts really attracts a, a great, uh, uh, I don't know, stream of talent. It's just, it's just great. And it's a, I, I learned so much just working with the students. That's cool. Their ideas, where they're pulling things from and what they want to do always pushes me to the uh, tip, tip of my ability. But it's That's a great, cool. great profession. Well, teacher. I'm sure you both get hit up for advice all the time from aspiring effects artists. So beyond things like learning how to sculpt and paint and, you know, be able to render things in a way that's, that's realistic. What are some of the other hard skills you think are important that you might not learn at Cal arts or the Savini school that are required for, for building and creating characters and effects? Hmm. Wow. Well, I think if, 
if you want to do it professionally, I think you have to cultivate people skills as well. You know, it's mm -hmm. uh, not a lot of people think about that, but uh, to work in industry, it's a big, it's a, it's a lot of networking and it's a lot yeah. of, um, you know, like you could be the best artist ever, but if you're kind of a jerk, like nobody's going to want to hire you or work with you, right. you know? Um, so I would say like, that's something important to think about, you know, if it's something yeah. you want to do professionally. It's yeah. a collaborative art form working in film and television. So you're not just doing, you're not just working alone in your own shop. You're actually interacting with other technicians, other artists, and uh, it's a shared vision. Uh, you know, and, and talk about making it a career. I, I, geez, I never thought of starting a business. I'm, I'm not really business minded, but my passion for doing this style of animation or the, this, this industry, in order for me to do what I wanted to do, I had to start a company just to facilitate the, the, the equipment and the business and the cash flow and all that stuff. So just being, uh, I don't know, just being aware that you're going to have to get into the business or right. find a partner you can trust who's going to handle the business. Fortunately for me, I've got a younger brother who um, is not just artistic, but he also has a sensibility about the legal and the business aspect and the financial aspect of budgeting and things that kind of keep you on track. This way I can focus more on the artistic endeavors. So um Finding a creative producer to work with as an artist is another really, uh, it's an important factor for, for pursuing it as a career. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's so cool about like, like you guys as the Kyoto brothers, it's like each one of you have your own little like area of expertise and you guys just seem to like really like work together. Like, and it's so cool. You guys are brothers and it's like, you know, you just it started it, each one of you like sort of runs it in a different way. And that's how it like flows. It's just cool to see. Oh, we actually, it's kind of worked out well for us. I mean, we all have our different focus areas of focus, but I think because of our backgrounds, there's a, there's a commonality and vision. Uh, not exactly the same. We all have different individual lives. So I think it kind of makes it, it, makes it interesting. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, we've had fun doing it. Yeah. The older <laughs> I get, the more I realize my goal in life is to be a professional version of myself as a child. And it seems like uh, that's what you guys as brothers as, must have been doing something similarly i mean as as you're doing now i mean as kids were you guys always cooking up monsters and ideas and making little films and stuff that's the joke nick we're doing exactly what we did when we were little kids nice. go out there uh yes exactly we would come up with storylines charlie would do storyboards and i would make the puppets and we'd, we'd strap all our equipment on our bikes and we'd go to these exotic <laughs> locations like burrs lane or or uh, fire island to do some monster movie filming and it's funny when we uh, we were co-producers co on City Marty's Land of the Lost, the revival in the 90s. I remember and that. We laughing because we did exactly what we did as kids on that TV show. We did perspective shots, putting puppets in front of the camera, shot in conjunction with people in the background to make the monsters look bigger. We shot people running around with invisible creatures that we would then put in later in post. It was exactly the same stuff. And That's it was a big cool. That's super cool. Yeah, they say if you want to learn what to do with your life, observe what you did as a child when you weren't pressured by parents or teachers. Yeah, that's such a good idea. Yeah. It wasn't a way to make a living. It was just a way to, a way to have fun. Yeah, no, but it, I think I, th I think that's where the that's where the magic comes from. It's having fun with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, on that note, anything we didn't get to that uh, you guys are dying to talk about? No, no, but I'll tell you this. Overall, it's a great time to make films, create images. There are so many fantastic tools that compete head-to-head -head with all the professional work out there. 
you can shoot HD now. And, and what we didn't have back then was uh, distribution. Mm. Now with the internet, Vimeo, all these platforms you've got, now people can see your work, mm -hmm. react to it, and the industry's looking at that content on yeah. the internet uh, to, for, for new talent. So it is the best of times to create content. Yeah, uh, it's kind of amazing how a lot of studios, people are getting deals just by putting stuff up on YouTube and uh, like Fidi Alvarez, he got to remake Evil Dead and he's doing a bunch of other stuff now. He's he's producing the Texas Chainsaw remake, which I have a feeling in his hands will will be will be pretty substantial. But yeah, he put up he put this incredible short film up on YouTube and got a deal for Evil Dead shortly thereafter. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And the guy who did I, the Kickstarter for what was that called? He just got a deal with Spielberg uh, a couple years ago. Uh, what would it was like a like a very hammy Miami cop sort of thing, and he he has to go back in time to fight Hitler, and it all looks like super analog VHS. Oh, Kung Fury. Kung Fury. That's it. Yeah. 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 Oh. He's do Spielberg is producing his uh, like a full length wow. version of of Kung Fury, and it's it's going to awesome. be sensational. Yeah. But yeah. See that great. So now there's no excuse. There is no excuse. You know what? You, you have the passion. You've got the tools. You've got the stuff. Just do it. And, and at any, any level, you don't have to uh, and, uh, do the biggest high budget level stuff. Right. The, the handmade low budget stuff, as long as it's got good characters and tells a good story, that's all people really care about. In fact, the more polished it is on the Internet, the more suspect people are. That is probably <laughs> by a larger company. Uh, the better. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of been my uh, thing right now because like I I didn't make as much as I wanted to like video wise because I was worried about it being polished and like it's got to look good. But now I just like I've embraced the crappy green screen and, you know, just the it, it adds a goofy charm to it. And it's like and that allows me to make more faster because I'm not worried about like, it, you know, I always say you can spend your whole life making one masterpiece or you can spend your life making an entire wonderful, diverse body of work that, you know, so it's. That's where I'm at now. Just cranking out stuff and having fun, and don't worry about if it's polished. All, all you had to worry about is making an impact on people, you know. Yeah. And it shows. It shows your work is always fun. <laughs> Thanks. I'm gonna see what Randy's gonna dress up as. <laughs> me too. <laughs> the Trejo <laughs> thing freaks me out. That looks fantastic. What'd you say? Oh, the, the stuff that uh, Sig is putting on on uh, Instagram was your Patreon. Uh, uh, yeah. It's just, it's great. Yeah. Great stuff. Oh, characters. It's awesome thanks. stuff. Before we wrap up, are you guys uh, watching anything good, either shows or movies, now that there's a lot of time? Oh, uh, Upload on Amazon Prime was amazing. I haven't even heard of that. It's uh, basically the story is it's in a future, like a near future where if you die, you, you can upload your consciousness to, oh, they call it a heaven. Uh, different heavens and but it's like it's set up like there's in-app purchases and stuff so it kind of like it turns into this like nightmare because Ooh. you have to like buy all this stuff but you're dead so your family is like paying for it and it brings up all of these like really interesting ethical questions about death mm -hmm. and society and uh yeah so that i would highly recommend upload on amazon okay, Prime. awesome awesome i'll definitely I'm check that out i'm pbs now <laughs> yeah nice yeah, but the documentaries is really interesting. Yeah, PBS. Yeah, yeah, Channel Eight here. Oh, just P okay, just the channel. Got it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> nice. Yeah. I got into Castlevania. Sig on your recommendation. It's I'm loving it. It's really really yeah, good. It's good. Yeah, it's a lot a lot of fun. Cool, guys. This was a blast. Let's do this again sometime. Maybe we'll bring Steve Johnson in as well. 
Oh, that'll be a hoot. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty insane too. It's pretty scandalous stuff. <laughs> did you guys ever work together like directly on something? No, right? You and Steve? No, no, we never did. He had a studio just up the block from us in Burbank. Okay. And uh, we attended some one or two of his parties, which were really cool. But no, no, it's it's um, look. Uh, there's no real competition between effects companies. Yeah. We did jobs. We did jobs. We'd been on the same things sometimes. Uh, people would hire us for our look. They would hire him for his look. I think we did work together on Freaked. Oh, uh, nice. You were on Freaked? Oh, yeah, yeah. We did the stop motion, the Gumby. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I love uh, that, that, was, that uh, fuck you, Gumby. He was the one that wanted to get everybody, every effects guy in Hollywood, he wanted to give them one shot. So uh, we had our shot. Dave Allen had a shot. I think uh, Lazarus, yeah, everybody. And uh, Steve Johnson had a lot of the major characters in there. But yeah, that's the one show we might have worked together on. I didn't realize that that was the philosophy behind it by giving a bunch of artists one shot because it's such a hodgepodge. But it also kind of is unified. You know, the the aesthetic of all the creatures, they feel like they can cohabitate in the same universe. But I think uh, the universe is so diverse that it kind of tolerated different styles. But that was what I was told when we had the big meeting. He wanted one shot from everybody. That's so cool. Oh, it's, it's such a beautiful like snapshot of the golden era of effects, really. Yeah. Think, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'd love to see another movie like that where it's just you build a plot and a story around the effects in a way. And it's such a insane showcase. I'd love to see something that has the same philosophy. Well, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'll jump aboard that. It sounds great. Awesome. Well, guys, this was a blast. Thank you both. This was uh, this was super duper cool. It's great talking to you both. Absolutely. Oh, well, yeah, thank, thank you so much. Fabulous. Both you guys. It's, it's a great conversation. Thanks for inviting me. Great. Absolutely. Well, thank yeah, you. I will great. send this your way as soon as it's ready to go. Oh, great. Awesome. All right, guys. You take care. Wash right, your guys. hands. Will do. I got my sanitizer. <laughs> I got my heavily, <laughs> heavily coveted sanitizer. <laughs> All right, take All care. right guys. Be well. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening and happy holidays to you and yours. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor. I am Nick Taylor and on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show.